Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Sarah von Bargen, a writer and educator who helps people spend their time, money, and energy on purpose. When I asked Sarah to send me her bio, that was it, one line. And so is our conversation. It's very to the point, very actionable. And Sarah truly shares only things that she has tried and knows that works. Sarah von Bargen is one of the very original people I looked up to when I was starting my online entrepreneurial journey. And having this type of conversation is exactly why I created this podcast so that you can listen in on the things that I'm learning that are super helpful. In this conversation, Sarah shares how she went from being an ESL teacher and making 30 something thousand dollars to making blogging her primary source of income and creating a very successful and profitable blog. And hey, there's nothing wrong if you're making $30,000 and if you're a teacher, absolutely no judgment. This podcast, however, exists for you to expand what you think is possible for you and how you can use the internet to make those possibilities your reality. And Sarah is the prime example of that. We talk about scaling an online business, how she monetizes her blog, how important it is to understand what makes you happy and how that can lead to business success. We talk about spending money intentionally, and Sarah shares a really cool and powerful exercise that will help you align your values with how you make money and with what brings you joy. It's from her course that she teaches, so I'm super grateful that she generously shared it with us here. We cover the topic of SEO and blogging and whether they're still relevant in 2019. And hint, hint, the answer is yes. And Sarah actually ended up helping me with optimize some of my blog posts on breakfastcriminals.com. And I got to experience her magic of her upcoming post optimization service firsthand. And it was crazy to see results right away, just through having the right SEO in place, having the right images in place, and then amplifying it all through Pinterest. So as you can tell from the conversation, we both love stats. We both love digging deep and seeing what works. And ultimately, to me, success only happens when you bring together the strategic mindset alongside with your intuition, with your feeling self, with what brings you joy, what lights you up. And that can't always be measured with money. One of the examples Sarah will share is something she manifested through social media that is travel related. So sometimes our success is not money coming into our bank account, but opportunities, being invited on trips, on experiences, spending time with a person that's an absolute dream of yours to spend time with. So just keep thinking bigger, keep thinking more creatively of what you want to create and apply everything you're sharing in this episode to your own dreams and your own goals. Because ultimately listening to other people's stories on podcasts is fantastic. For me personally, it's the best thing ever because I learned through seeing that other people did something. That's why I see social media as a tool for manifestation, for expansion, for connection. Because 
when we intentionally curate our feeds and what we consume, it impacts our subconscious, it impacts our actions, and it impacts the kind of life that we create. So yes, of course, I want you to be inspired, but at the same time, I encourage you to always keep bringing it to your own story, getting clear on your own vision, and taking action. Because you can consume content all day long, all night long, but if you're not taking the right steps to really just do what you are being called to do, then what's the point? Enjoy this conversation and take a screenshot of you listening to it and tag at woke and wired and let me know what you're taking away. I would love to hear from you. And if you haven't already, I'd love you to take a moment to go and leave a rating and review to the podcast on iTunes. I've been seeing the podcast climb up in the charts all over the world from Jamaica to New Zealand and Iceland and Latvia. And I'm just so grateful for all of you listening from everywhere. The best way that you can give back to the podcast and support it back is to leave that rating and leave that review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from the messages shared here as well. Here's Sarah von Bargen. Enjoy this conversation. Regardless of what platform you're using, you need to be showing up somewhere online regularly, connecting with your people and demonstrating your expertise. So I love that when I was hitting record, Sarah von Bargen, my guest today, started with Yes, and that's the name of your blog, Yes and Yes blog. And I did some Google search today, Gmail search, and to find out when I started following your blog and when I found you. And the furthest I can go back, and there could be more because we know Gmail deletes some of the history, was 2015, May 2015. Oh my gosh, yeah. So I know you've been blogging for longer than that, and I've been following probably half of your journey so far with your blog. And to me, you were the first female entrepreneur, kind of merging business, online marketing, personal development, travel. And I was reading you way before I quit my full-time job and started blogging full-time. So I just, first of all, before we dive into this, want to thank you for doing what you do. And I'm so excited to connect. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. That's so kind of you to say. Thank you so much. I think I think anybody who publishes stuff on the on the internet has the experience of, you know, you write stuff, you put it out there into the ether and you never know if it's making a difference. And the law of averages is for every one person who sends you an email, you know, maybe 20 people feel the same way. But it's always so nice to hear from people who've been reading my stuff for so long. So this is one of the topics I definitely want to get into down the line is pivoting and emerging as you grow as a person and seeing how that impacts your business and kind of making sure that your business and your blog reflects your own personal growth. But before we get into that, I want to do something that I do with every guest. And it is that I'm going to read your Instagram bio out loud. And you're going to tell me what it is that you actually do on a day to day basis. Oh, okay. Okay. So if you guys want to follow along, it's yes and yes blog. And Your bio, Sarah, says helping people spend their money, time, and energy on purpose. And you've got a money bag emoji, clock emoji, and a red heart. Creator of Bank Boost, Habit School, and the No Grocery Challenge. All right, let's get into all of it. So what do I do on a day-to-day basis? The vast majority of my time is spent writing or 
working directly with clients who want one-on-one support with these things. I run my business and I teach my courses um, a little bit differently than a lot of people. My courses, you can take them all at a DIY self-paced version if you want, but I also run many of them live. Right now, I don't have any courses in session, but I usually do. And so I spend a lot of time in the Facebook groups associated with the courses, answering questions, replying to emails, doing Facebook lives, or I might have one-on-one coaching clients who I'm helping them work through spending triggers or what triggers their bad habits, or I am writing new content. It's interesting that you didn't mention Instagram at all. What came up was your website and Facebook. So are those your main platforms? Actually, I love using Instagram stories, but I'm on Instagram stories almost every day. And some of the stuff that I post on Instagram stories, it ends up being, I guess, quote unquote, strategic. But for better, for worse, I use Instagram mostly for fun. (laughs) Like, you know, sometimes if I'm being really strategic, I'll like plan out some posts that relate to a launch that I have coming up. But a lot of time, you know, like my Instagram story that I shared yesterday is was about sort of honoring, if you know that the end of an era is coming, how can you honor that? My husband and I are going to start house hunting this fall. And so it's very likely that this will be the last summer that we spend in this neighborhood that we currently live in. And it's a really great neighborhood. We live near a bunch of lakes and a river and, you know, a really walkable sort of shops and restaurants. And so I had made a list of these are the things that I want to do in this neighborhood this summer, because next summer, it's very unlikely that we'll be living here. So then I was talking about, if you know that something is coming to an end, like you're about to graduate from an academic program, or, you know, you're about to get married, or you're about to get divorced, your kid's about to move out of the house, or you're about to get a puppy. If something is about to end, how can you honor that and sort of make the most of it and feel like you have agency in it? So that's the kind of stuff that I share. Do I have a course that relates to that? No. (laughs) Did I end it with like a call to action to hire me as a coach? No. But it was just something that I wanted to talk about. You know, I grew up writing a lot and I went to journalism school and I don't write nearly as much as I want to. And just seeing how you work and how you just share that really brings me back to those habits. Somewhere on your blog, I read that you worded it somehow how your daily writing habit is worth a quarter million dollars. You probably can say it way better than I did. Tell me more about that. Yes. So one of the things I have a course called Habit School, and I think when it comes to habits, we have a tendency to underestimate how they affect us on a day-to-day basis. Or we think, you know, like, oh, you know, I know that smoking is a bad habit or like, you know, I know that maybe mindlessly buying lattes that I'm not really that into is not the world's greatest habit, but we don't understand how it impacts us in a larger way. And so I wanted to sort of acknowledge, like sort of shock people into like, no, this stuff really matters. Like my daily writing habit got me out of a career track that I loved, but was like prohibitively low paying. And the difference between what I earned when I was an ESL teacher working in a nonprofit and what I earn now, and I wrote that blog post, I think two years ago, the difference, the amount of money that I have made, the difference is $250,000. And of course, now it's much more than $250,000 because I you know, wrote that two years ago. So every year, the gap widens between what I would have earned had I stayed, if, 
had I stayed in that career track and not developed that writing habit. And and it's true for lots of habits. Like if you, you know, make a habit of getting 10,000 steps a day, the likelihood that you're going to need diabetes medication or you're going to have to have expensive surgery is probably a lot lower. And think of all the money that you save on on not having to pay for diabetes medication and surgery. If you don't smoke, you save tons of money. If you get in the habit of reaching out to somebody in your professional network once a week, it is very likely that you're going to get better jobs, get raises, become a leader in your field. And so I think it's a good way to sort of quantify habits and the impacts they have in a way that sort of makes people sit up and take notice. And having that habit and actually sitting down to write and creating that space is one part of it. But a whole other part is having the courage to actually hit publish and share it with however many people see it on the internet. So I want to, can you just tell me about your trajectory? How did you transition from being an ESL job to writing? And how did you discover the world, the big and wonderful world of social media, blogging and internet? Oh, gosh. Well, I always feel like it's important for me to acknowledge how lucky I was to start when I did. I So I have my undergraduate degrees in English Lit, and I have been getting paid to write since I was 20. So I you know, did internships at newspapers. I did internships in PR, at advertising agencies. But that's a pretty stressful world. The agency, advertising agency world is pretty stressful. So I burnt out, became an ESL teacher, moved abroad, lived abroad for seven years came back to America. And I was working as an ESL teacher at a nonprofit. And I was really struggling to reacclimate to life in the US and I needed a creative outlet. And I'd been reading blogs for a long time. And because I had a background in writing, and because I had a little bit of a background in marketing and advertising, I thought, you know, like, I can do that. Like, this is evidence of what's possible. I can do that too. So I just started a blog because I felt like I could do it. I had confidence in my writing skills because I've been doing it for years and because strangers had paid me to do it. So I felt pretty confident trying it. And it's also like such a low barrier to entry. Like in 2008, a Blogspot blog hosted on Blogspot was free, you know, and and I also kind of figured like, you know, I can give up if I want to. And it's very unlikely that any of my friends are going to like stumble upon it if I don't tell them about it. So it just felt pretty low risk. And I was confident in my abilities because I'd been doing it for a while. And what was it about at that time? Uh, At that time, I wanted to write things that I needed to read that I couldn't find elsewhere on the internet. And obviously, 2008 is a long time ago, but there weren't really many blogs that were talking about how like, it's okay to be child free. It's okay not to be married. It's okay not to like, graduate, get married, get a job in an office and have a kid because that was not my trajectory. I was 28. I've been living abroad for seven years. I lived with my boyfriend. I had this master's degree that I didn't use. Like I, my lifestyle was, especially for a woman living in the Midwest of the US was, was pretty non-traditional. And I didn't see that represented anywhere. And when, when I was doing those things, when I was trying to figure out how to move abroad or how to graduate, go to graduate school in another country or, you know, any of this stuff or how to travel by myself, there were no resources. So I kind of wanted to create resources for people who wanted to do the same things, who wanted a less traditional life. And at what point did you realize, wow, this is something that I can actually monetize? It started when people, I had been blogging for about a year, year and a half, and I'd been getting pretty good traction and pretty good, pretty good readership. And people started to email me and either say like, you're a good writer. Could I hire you to write for me? 
or you seem to know a lot about blogging. I don't know a lot about it. Could you help me? So it wasn't something that I really set out to. I mean, of course, the goal is always like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if this could be my job? But I didn't know that 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 was really going to be a possibility for me. But when people started asking for help and, and trying to hire me, I figured like, okay, well, I should take advantage of this. And so it's been almost 10 years since you started that blog post? It's been 11 years. Yeah. It's been 11 years. Wow. So how has it shifted since then from being doing ghostwriting and coaching people on how to write? What are you saying more of yes to nowadays in terms of your business? What kind of opportunities excite you? Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Well, I think what I am finding is I want to fine tune what I'm doing. Like the courses that I've published and the things that I teach, like I really, really stand behind that stuff. I know it works if you do it. So right now I'm sort of more fine tuning, like, okay, you know, I know that this works if people do it, but I also know that everybody like the engagement in the course drops off after week three, even though it's a six week class. So how can I change the structure of it? Or like, how can I keep people engaged? So now I'm sort of, I have confidence in the content that I've created and the things that I teach. It's more just about tweaking, like maybe the logistics of how I teach it or how I deliver it, or really making for sure that, that people are taking action on it presenting the information in a way that is as usable as possible. And what are the courses that are most popular out of the ones that you teach? I would say, so I have three courses. The most popular one is called Bank Boost, which is a six-week course that is a deprivation-free approach to earning and spending money. So over the course of six weeks, I go through it with them. I do it every time that, that I lead it. Over six weeks, we everybody decreases their sort of impulse discretionary income by half, and then also does a bunch of stuff to either bring in or I call rescue um, money of theirs that's like out into the world that should be reclaimed and also like get out of their comfort zone to bring in more money. So that's really popular. I don't, I don't know when this is going to air, but I'm also trying, I'm trying a two hour workshop called get what you want, the get what you want workshop, because, you know, talking about format and what works and what doesn't, when I asked my people in my Facebook group, would you prefer a six week course, a three week course, or a two hour workshop, just by like huge percentages, people wanted a two hour workshop. So I will be very interested to see how that goes, because I can look at the analytics on my courses and see at what point people stop replying to emails and at what point people stop taking part in the Facebook group. And unsurprisingly, the people who get the best results are the ones who complete the entire course. But I want to help as many people as possible. I want to help people get the best results they can. And so maybe that's in a two-hour workshop instead of a six-week course. So I'll be really interested to see how that works out. And would you say it's mostly online entrepreneurs who are drawn to your work or is it all kinds of people? It's all kinds. And I very specifically like in sales pages say, you know, this is for everybody. This is not just for self-employed online creatives. This is for nurses, teachers, you know, professors, people with nine to five, stay-at-home moms. You know, you you don't have to be self-employed or an online entrepreneur to benefit from from these ideas. That's so needed. Yes. Yes. That's so needed because I find I find that a lot of online entrepreneurship community kind of just gears it to the same people. But I love that you're opening it to everyone. 
And I also think that like, it's so, so easy when you're an online entrepreneur to sort of exist in that space and believe that that stuff is normal. I mean, I know multiple people who make a million plus and it seems very normal. And then, but if I was not on Instagram, oh my gosh, like my friends in real life are teachers and social workers and like PR professionals and, you know, research scientists. And they're making like between 40 and 90 grand. And so I think it's also important, you know, to surround yourself with people who are not online entrepreneurs and and remember that like, this is an incredibly, this is a real thick bubble. Like there are so many people who don't live on Instagram. There are so many people who like go into an office and have a boss and, you know, go to meetings. Like it is just a tiny percentage of the human population that is an online entrepreneur who is making multiple six figures. Yes. Yes. So important. So there's a couple of things I want to get into. The first one is the energetics behind the success that happened with your business and what you did to it. When you started it, were you setting out to make it super successful? Did you have a number in mind of how much money you wanted to make? And how do you think what kind of personal practices, maybe mindsets impacted the growth and success of your business? I did not have like when I started Yes and Yes, and also because blogging was so new then, I didn't have anybody that I could look at and say like, oh, wow, that's what's possible. There were no full-time bloggers when I started. So I didn't really have any finish line that I could even imagine because, you know, if you can't see it, you can't be it. But I would say, and this is, again, I think it's always important to like acknowledge this. I am extremely fortunate that the software that came with my brain is sort of like predisposed to this. I mean, I'm a self-starter. I work really hard. I'm very productive. I'm an INTJ. I'm an Enneagram One. I'm a Virgo. I'm an eldest child. I'm of Germanic and Scandinavian heritage. Like, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. (laughs) But, you know, so like, I'm very lucky that my brain chemistry and my natural personality is suited to this. Like, I am very suited to sitting in my house by myself and working very hard. And not everybody's like that. And not everybody should be or needs to be. So I think, honestly, a lot of my success, like, yes, I have worked very hard and I, you know, I work hard to like maintain my professional connections. And I think I'm a good writer and I think I have good ideas and I, you know, provide great services and support to my clients and students. But also some of it is just like the luck of the draw. For sure. And that actually leads us to this interesting topic that we keep pointing to is that blogging was very different. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, Ten years ago, even five years ago. and. You know, I started Breakfast Criminals on Instagram, and then at some point it became a blog. And now still a lot of my clients, when I do sponsored content or brand collaborations, clients still want me to do blog posts. But still, I know that most of my community is on Instagram. That's where I get most engagement. Most people pay attention to it. And a lot of the time, I just kind of think blogs are dead and that people don't really spend time. I remember I used to spend so much time on blog loving, sorting my home feed and checking out what's new on the blogs that I follow. But now it's just all on Instagram. And sometimes I just want to kind of just abandon blogging and writing. And then I come across a newsletter that you wrote or a blog post. And I see like a link roundup or something else that just goes much more in depth than an Instagram post could. And it brings me back to that appreciation. But I'm curious from your experience and standpoint, how relevant are blogs? And if someone is starting now, should they even go that route? 
to me, like I love Instagram. I think to me, the biggest drawback of Instagram, number one, Mark Zuckerberg. Number two is Instagram, as far as I know, is not search engine optimized. If I'm just a person who doesn't, who's not on Instagram, and I'm trying to find like travel tips for Croatia, and I'm Googling travel tips for Croatia, the answer is never going to be on Instagram. It's going to be in blog posts. If I'm trying to hire a personal trainer, you know, I'm going to find a blog post that says like top 10 personal trainers. I'm, I'm not going to find Google is never going to point me, at least currently, to my knowledge, it's never going to point me to an Instagram post. So I love Instagram, but if you want to create in-depth content, or if you're trying to attract traffic from strangers, it's never, ever a bad idea to have blog posts. Also, like Google searches blog posts, you can pin blog posts, you can promote your blog posts on Facebook. And you can do that with your Instagram posts too. But but I think first and foremost, Instagram is not it's not searchable by Google at this point. So that's why you, if you're trying to establish expertise, it's still a good idea to have a blog. And there's no reason, like a lot of my most popular Instagram content is stuff that I pull from my blog posts. There's no reason you can't cross purpose it, but maybe, you know, you write a 1500 word blog post and then you pull out the best bit and then you make it into an Instagram caption. You can do both, but I think it's dangerous to build a business on borrowed property, essentially. Because look at what happened to Facebook and now how you have to like pay for your followers who opted to follow you to see your content. And, you know, I'm sure it's only a matter of like the the Instagram feed already isn't chronological. So I understand the belief and desire even to give up on blogging, but there's a reason that it works. I totally agree with you in terms of evergreen content and searchable content. It's still so important to have blogs. And I sometimes have spikes on my YouTube videos or blogs from like years ago, just because there's something in the news. And at the same time, I have noticed very recently, as of July 2019, that Instagram is definitely taking some steps for search engine optimization. I recently Googled, I think someone's handle and a brand name or even my own. I was just trying to find something specific and it actually did come up for the first time. And I had done that before and it wouldn't work. So that's happening. And I've also heard that anything that's in your Instagram bio actually does get indexed. That's why it's important to include all the info there. Like if you are a brand strategist or a social media consultant and you want to be known for that, it's important to make sure that's clearly in your bio because it might get indexed. But those are all just assumptions because Instagram doesn't actually tell us anything about the algorithms or optimization around it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, Let's say that you wrote a blog post about healthy breakfast granola. You can optimize that. You can create a Pinterest image and you can pin it across Tailwind, schedule it to Pinterest boards, and people are going to still be finding it even if you publish it three years ago. If you wrote an Instagram caption with a picture of granola and you publish it three years ago, it is exceptionally unlikely that anyone is going to scroll through your Instagram feed deep enough that they're going to find it. Right. Totally. So that's the question. If someone is just starting to put energy into their online presence, whether they're an entrepreneur or creative, anyone really, it's so easy to go into the black hole of Instagram and put hours and hours and hours into Instagram and possibly even build Mm -hmm. a solid presence there. But with blog, I feel like it requires that additional 
effort and writing discipline and, and knowing how to format things and setting things up. And I'm curious, you know, with all the work that you do with your courses and coaching, do you think there's still space in terms of how saturated the market is? And does it make sense for everyone actually to have a blog? And if so, how do you stand out and how do you build a well-indexed blog with high traffic these days? What I tell my clients is that you should view your blog as a connection maker and an opportunity creator rather than a money maker. Because your blog will establish your expertise, it will increase your professional network, it will increase your visibility, it will make it easier for you to find clients. The days of like, I'm a fashion blogger and a brand will pay me $4,000 to wear their skirt. I think those days are over. Or if they're not over, it's really hard to get into that. And I don't think that blogs are right for absolutely everybody. I know people who have incredibly successful careers just on Instagram. But I think regardless of what platform you're using, you need to be showing up somewhere online regularly connecting with your people and demonstrating your expertise. And I don't think it's ever a bad idea to publish articles on your website in support of that. You don't even have to call it a blog. And sometimes like if people aren't going to be publishing regularly, I tell them don't in your menu bar, don't call it a blog, pull the dates off of it. Because if you call it a blog and I can look at the date and see that, you know, this was published in 2014, all of a sudden you don't look that professional, but you can just call it articles and maybe have 20 really smart, helpful, optimized blog posts. It's never a bad idea to have that. It's never, ever a bad idea to have content that establishes your expertise that is Googleable on your website. Totally. I so agree with you. So going back to your blog, when anyone thinks nowadays about being a blogger, people think about being an influencer, people think about images and fashion skirts, like you just mentioned. And with you, it's a different model. So talk to me a little bit about your revenue streams. Is it mostly your courses and then your consulting and coaching? I have, oh gosh, I want to say it's like nine revenue streams. And I do that on purpose. I feel like there's sort of a narrative online that like the best way to be in online success is to have like one $5,000 online course. That is not my model. <laughs> Congratulations to anybody who wants to have that model. That's not my model. I'm actively disinterested in that. But so I make money off my courses. I make money off my coaching and consulting. I make money off of affiliate links. I do very, very select ghostwriting. If you looked at my website, you wouldn't even know that. That's from previous clients and referrals only. And I guess anyone listening to this podcast, I do some sponsored work. I do like tourism boards will sponsor me to, to go to their cities and, and talk about them. And what else? And then I have just some passive income eBooks that, you know, you get into my newsletter and then you get into a funnel and then you can opt to buy that. Oh, and I also do speaking and live workshops. And are you a one person team or do you have someone helping you set up the funnels and manage? I have an assistant and then I have contractors that I work with as needed. But it's mostly just, I have the world's best assistant. Her name is Erin Gibson. She has a giant waiting list. She's not taking any new clients, but she's wonderful. But yeah, so I just have, it's just me and assistant. And then if Erin can't do something, I will hire out stuff as needed. 
Okay, so you are such a powerhouse. I can't believe how many things you have going on by yourself with an assistant. I'm curious, do you just teach everything yourself? Where does Sarah von Bargen go to learn, to grow, to expand, to get coached? I don't know. What are your personal resources where you go to to really take things to the next level in your business? Well, I would say, so first of all, I'm a total cheapskate. So I am like, I am not the person who like sees a Facebook ad and then buys a $4,000 course. Like I need to hear something like my friends have to recommend something to me like five times before I do it. So I guess I'm sort of fortunate in, I am not somebody who has like thrown away a bunch of money on expensive online courses that I haven't taken because I am much more likely to Google and read a bunch of blog posts and watch a bunch of YouTube tutorials and like get as far as I can on my own. And then if I'm not getting the results that I want, then I will like hire a consultant or take a course. But what I have found for myself and honestly, for many of the people that I coach, we all know what we need to do. Like we know we need to be posting more regularly. We know we need to send the follow-up email. We know we need to like go to a coffee shop, disconnect from the internet and work hard. Like most of us know what we need to do, but a lot of us, you know, we buy things in an attempt to feel more accomplished or we buy things that will like give us a sense of sort of professionalism when honestly, like we could probably figure it out without, without much effort. So honestly, where I go is a lot of Google. (laughs) And then if that's not working, then I will hire somebody. But also, also my assistant is amazing. So a lot of times I'll be like, Erin, I don't know how to do this. And she'll be like, that's right. I can figure it out. (laughs) She does it. And in terms of other resources, I, there are a few podcasts I really like. I love Brooke Castillo's Life Coach School. She talks a lot about mindset. That's a really good one. I am extremely into optimizing old content. Like this is my weird soapbox that it makes a lot more sense for people to learn how to make the most of the things that you've already created instead of compulsive, like constantly creating new things. And so I'm always trying to get, learn more about SEO and Pinterest because I have 2,300 blog posts in my archives. Like I, I don't necessarily need to be writing new stuff all the time. Um, so I learn a lot of stuff just from listening to, I think it's called the Simple Pin podcast. But yeah, so that's basically it, like podcasts and Google. <laughs> I love this so much because, you know, you said something really simple and brilliant. Sarah, you said, we all know what we need to do. And that just really struck a chord in me. I've done a whole episode on this. I called it Be Your Own Mentor. And because I find myself, and I know a lot of people listening, a lot of people generally find themselves in a place where, oh, I'm I'm feeling down or I'm feeling confused or challenged. I don't know what to do. And the first reaction is, to seek someone on Instagram or like a psychic medium, whatever it is that your resources that you think will have the answer for you, we seem to just go for something that's on the outside of us when truly when we just create that quiet space to connect with our own inner guidance and intuition, then we know the answers. We know what we need to do. We're just not doing it. A lot of us just need a slap on the butt or accountability. Yes. Oh my gosh. This sounds so like a grandma, but Honestly, most things can be cured by like drinking some water, taking a nap, going for a walk, you know, or just sucking up and doing the work that you've been avoiding. I mean, that is not to say like there are definitely like skills based things that you need to actively learn. Like 
Yes, it is important that you learn how to write like an enticing lead that will get people to read your blog post. Yes, you there is a skill to like laying out a blog, a blog post in a cohesive way. Yes, figure out how to put spaces in your Instagram caption. Like there are, you know, very specific things that you need to learn. But a lot of this stuff is things that we already know that we're just avoiding or trying to like throw some money at it or outsource the wisdom when if we were really honest with ourselves, we know what we need to do. Right. And at the same time, I think there is a place for it's important to be aware that we already know. But at the same time, sometimes it is a smart decision to outsource to invest into something because just that fact of taking that step of investing in yourself, having accountability or being part of a, a group, a mastermind, whatever that is. For me, that's been really, really accelerated my business because that to me, you know, me paying for a mastermind signifies to myself, to the universe, okay, I'm really investing in myself. I'm ready to take it to the next level and I'm going to show up. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's, I think what is so important is to know yourself well enough to know how you learn and what sort of accountability you need. Are you familiar with Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies? I'm not. So it's basically about how people respond to outer expectations. And there are four personality types, the upholder, the obliger, the rebel, and the questioner. And so an upholder can keep commitments to themselves and commitments to other people. An obliger needs outer accountability. So they need somebody else holding them accountable to get anything done. A questioner, they will only do things if they are on board with the reasoning behind the request. And a rebel can't hold themselves accountable and nobody else can either. <laughs> so I think it's really, if you understand, I need somebody holding me accountable in order to do anything, great, then get somebody to hold you accountable. If you understand, like, I will only do things if they have been explained to me and I agree that they're useful, then use that information. Or like, if you know, I learn, I'm an auditory learner, so I'm not going to be able to, to learn by reading a book. I need an audio course, or I need the audio book. If you can figure those things out about yourself, you can set yourself up for success. Because a lot of people, this whole thing where I'm like, yeah, I figure things out by Google and listening to podcasts, that would not work for them. It works for my brain chemistry, for my neural pathways, the way I learn. But if you can figure out how you learn and you can figure out what works for you and how you need to be held accountable, you can be a lot more successful. But just because somebody else is learning by reading this book or by taking this self-paced course or taking this live course or taking this live workshop or working one-on-one -on -one with a coach doesn't mean that that's going to make you successful. I would encourage everyone to figure that out, figure out how you learn and figure out how you need to be held accountable before you invest thousands of dollars into anything. That is so cool. And anyone listening, I encourage you to rewind and listen again to those four types and let us know. Take a screenshot and post it on Instagram stories. Let us know what type you are. You don't have to explain what it is. It can be a little secret code and tag yes and yes blog and tag at woke and wired. And I'm curious to see what kinds of people and types of people we have in our community here. So this is leading us to the question of that self-awareness and really being first of all present for yourself and knowing yourself as a foundation for success. I'm curious, what are some perhaps practices that you do to really connect with that inner voice that guides you on what the next best business decision is or life decision? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I would say I go for a lot of walks and I am very conscious and intentional about when I am out in nature or when I'm walking the dog, I don't listen 
to any, like I don't have, I'm not listening to a podcast. It's just me and my brain. And unsurprisingly, that's when I get my best ideas um, is when I'm moving my body and my brain is thinking about stuff. So that is very helpful. I also really believe I view envy as an educator. And so when I find myself feeling envious of somebody, I try to view that as like, okay, what is that envy telling me? What are they doing that is making me feel envious? Because that's clearly something that I want that I'm maybe not acknowledging to myself. So I really try to tune in to that. And I also, every night before I go to bed, I write one thing I'm grateful for, one sort of mantra or, you know, some positive thought process that I'm trying to reinforce. And then I write my to-do list for the next day. And all those practices really help me get in touch and stay in touch with myself. What mantra are you working with now? Do you feel comfortable sharing? The one that I'm working with now is I have a lot and I like having a lot. That allowing yourself. Yeah, because I work, a, a lot of my courses have to do with money. And I know that I have money blocks that I'm working through. And I am from a very cute but low income resort town, tourist town. And so I'm working through, I don't know if guilt is the right word, but I make more money now than I ever thought I would. I out earn anything that my parents made. I earn more than, you know, probably 99% of the people that I graduated from high school with. And so I'm working, I'm trying to become more comfortable with that. That's, that's such an important topic. It's interesting because no matter how much you make, we all have these money stories and money blocks. And it's so cool that you are aware of them. And we all teach what we most have to learn. And I also love how honest you are about this, because that's, just like knowing yourself as a foundation for success, the same with money. I, f- I feel like when we get honest about feelings of envy or judgment, whether they're made up or real, that's the really the foundation for moving forward. I'm curious, in teaching your courses about money, if you could just share perhaps one tool or exercise or mindset that you see be very effective with your students in terms of relationship with money, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Well, I would say, and this is incredibly obvious and easy, but you'd be amazed how many people are surprised by doing this. Print out your credit card statement, print out your bank statement, and go through and highlight every purchase that brought you joy. And then add up that amount of money and think about if those purchases align with your values. Because it is very, very easy and incredibly common People say, you know, travel brings me joy. Spending time with my friends brings me joy. And then if you look at their bank statement, what they're actually spending money on is like novelty throw pillows from Target and eye creams. And then at the end of the year, they've spent like, you know, $200 on travel. So, but we don't realize that until we see it in hard numbers. So go through your bank statement, go through your credit card statement, highlight the purchases that you brought you joy and then think about where your values are and see if you're spending and your spending and your values align. And if they don't align, it's totally okay because that's incredibly common. I have courses that teach you how to make them align, but it's a pretty eye-opening exercise. All right. I have homework. Thanks for that. (laughs) So what I want to backtrack a little bit into is you mentioned that your business now is more successful than it's ever been, right? So I'm curious, how have you been pivoting your business or what changes have you been making based on how the internet has changed in the past 10 years? 
to keep it growing. Because if you were doing things how you were doing them five years ago, your business probably wouldn't be growing. Yes. Well, so I launched my first online course, I want to say three years ago. And it was mostly, I'm, I had been doing mostly ghostwriting and copywriting, but I wasn't wild about it. Like it didn't bring me much joy. And also there's only one me, right? So like there's a limit to how much copywriting I can do. There's a limit to how much, how much work I can do in a day without hating my life. So I just sort of, and I also thought like, there are lots of copywriters on the internet. There's plenty. If I can rehome these clients very easily to people who I trust, but you know, I don't see any online courses that are talking about the inner, the psychology and emotion of spending. There are plenty of, you know, resources about like, here's how to make a budget spreadsheet, but there isn't anybody talking about like, how do your spending and your values align? How are you navigating money from such a deprivational place that you're, you know, denying yourself anything that would make you happy. And then as soon as you are, you know, you go, you do a no spend month. And then as soon as that month is over, you freak out and spend more money than you would have spent, you know, if you hadn't done the no spend month, I didn't see anybody talking about that. So I sort of thought like, I can stop doing this thing that I don't particularly enjoy and my clients will be fine. And I can start doing this thing that it really seems like there's a need for somebody to be talking about this stuff. That is so important. And it makes me think of social media because a lot of the work that I do on this podcast and through my conscious social media program is similar to what you're saying about money and bringing psychology into that. I do that with social media because I really believe that social media itself is energy neutral. And it's all about what we bring to it and bringing intentionality and consciousness. And the email newsletter that you sent out that prompted me to reach out and invite you to the podcast was exactly about that. So what you wrote in that email was you said, we can use social media to remind us of what we want to do and the people we want to be. I love that. Can you talk to me more about that? Absolutely. So I believe very strongly in just like ruthlessly curating your Instagram feed. So I feel like weirdly proud of my Instagram discover page <laughs> because there's no like diet tea advertisements. You know, there's no, it's all like good stuff that anytime I go there, it's gonna, you know, it's like Beyonce memes and like funny animals and vegan recipes and like cool travel photos. There's no nonsense that's gonna make me feel bad. There's no fashion blogger who's like, a size two 23 year old who's wearing a $4,000 outfit that's going to make me feel less than. So I really believe in following accounts that add to your life, muting or unfollowing accounts that make you feel less than, and also thinking about the goals that you have for yourself and following accounts that are going to help you get there. So if you're trying to pay off debt, you would follow me or the financial diet or the finance bar or YNAB. If you are, you know, trying to work through some emotional challenges, you would follow the holistic psychologist. But if you're trying to go vegan, there are like any number of food bloggers that you can follow. If you're trying to get back into hip hop dancing, because you used to do it in high school, there are all sorts of accounts that you can follow. So you just think about the goal that you have, and then think about accounts you can follow that are going to support that. Because every time you see that stuff, it's going to remind you like, oh yeah, I want to try that recipe or, oh yeah, that's right. I should really like, you know, book myself into another dance class. It's it's regular reminders of the person that you want to be and the goal that you're working towards. And one thing I also love doing, because we still 
curate as much as we can, but then we really don't know what the algorithm is going to show us. So what I love doing is creating collections in my Instagram. Like I have an album that's for my house. That's all inspiration for the cabin we're going to build. I have one for my style, another one for content and writing. And I love doing that because I can always go back to those. It's kind of like Pinterest that no one else sees. Yes. Yeah. I love reporting ads that I don't like. And I also there, I think you like click the three little dots and then it says like show fewer photos like these. So if I end up with a diet tea post in my feed somehow, and I click show fewer like these, that means, you know, I'm teaching the algorithm to show me less of those. And I'm also very intentional. Like if I go to my discover page and maybe there's some photo that I don't quite recognize, I need to realize that like, if I click on it to like, look at it, I'm teaching the algorithm that I want to see more of it. So I'm even very like judicious about like clicking on a photo to see it. Because if you click on it, you're just telling the algorithm to show you more of that. Right. That is so important. Totally agree with you. So with that, what is the best thing or maybe the most fun thing that has happened to you on social media or maybe through your blog? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh my gosh, so many things. I would say probably the thing that blew my mind the most was, and this was like seven years ago, so even like further back in the internet, I was quitting my ESL job to travel. I had saved enough money If you guys want to know if I'm good with money and why you should take my money classes, I had saved enough money on my $34,000 a year teacher salary to quit my job and travel for 11 months. And I was going to India and I posted on my blog, like, you know, I'm going to India. If you guys have any travel recommendations, let me know. And this reader emailed me and she was like, hey, Sarah, I'm a longtime reader. Um, My husband and I live in Mumbai. If you want to stay with us, we'd love to have you. And I was like, yeah, sure. And because I had like emailed back and forth with this woman a few times. So she didn't feel like a stranger. And so, yeah, of course, I'll come and stay with you. And then I get there and I find out that she's one of the editors at Vogue India. And her husband is the managing editor at the Rolling Stone, at the Indian Rolling Stone. And they live in like this, like the fancy, fancy neighborhood of Mumbai. And I just thought I was like going to go see my friend. That's so fun. So that happened. And then on that same trip, I also said I was going to go to Malaysia. And another reader emailed me and she said like, hey, I live in Kuala Lumpur. I'm the features editor at Clio. And so if anybody doesn't know this, Malaysia, people speak English there. And Clio is a huge women's magazine that is in Philippines, Malaysia, I think Hong Kong, New Zealand and Australia. And each country has their own edition, but it's, it's a huge women's magazine. And she said, I live in KL. If you want to, you know, rent our spare bedroom, we'd love to have you. And if you want to, basically, we will pay you. You can come right work at the magazine for a month. And so these were opportunities that came to me. Like, I, I didn't go ask anybody if I could do these things. These were incredibly lovely people who reached out to me and offered these things. And so then for a month in KL, I lived with my friend Deb and went into work at Clio and, you know, went to photo shoots and all sorts of crazy stuff because of the internet, because of my blog. This is so expensive. And just makes me think that when we are called to do something crazy and adventurous, we might not know why or what or how it's going to come together. But when we just show up and do it and get on the plane or the bus or boat, whatever it is, people show up and social media can be such an incredible tool to connect. You never know who's on the other side of the screen. We just have no idea. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to Dubai in October. And 
Weirdly, through Instagram, I know like five people there. So I, I plan to meet a bunch of my internet friends who I've never met in real life on the other side of the world in Dubai. When you travel, do you take time off work and writing? Well, I don't take 100% time off. I would say I take like 80% time off. Like I put an autoresponder up and I tell my assistant that I'm going to be less available, but also because the majority of my business is sort of set around my own schedule. So I can make for sure, like I've done a few, maybe I work extra hard before I travel. So I know I'm going to have enough money or I know I'm going to have like a few down days in Dubai so I can take a few coaching calls. That's fine. I don't take 100% time off, but I dramatically reduce the work that I do when I'm traveling. Yeah. And what about Instagram? Do you set boundaries with it to make sure that you have enough focus time to do things that align with your values? For me, I love looking at Instagram, but I'm not, you know, I look at it for maybe 10 or 15 minutes a day. I specifically have the icon on the second screen on my phone. And sometimes if I go on there, I will literally set a timer on my phone. So I don't accidentally spend like 45 minutes on it. But yeah, it's usually not too much, too much of a distraction. That's awesome. Sounds like you, you've got that covered. <laughs> well, I mean, it's certainly, I have had to make some pretty intentional choices around it, you know, in terms of like who I follow and whatnot. But also like usually when I'm traveling, I'm having so much fun and I'm doing exciting things. Like I'm not struggling with the desire to be on my phone. It's much more, I much more struggle with Instagram when I've like, worked a nine hour day and I'm exhausted and there's nothing good on TV and I'm trying to avoid like cleaning the kitchen. That's when I struggle with Instagram. Right. That sounds familiar. <laughs> so one more thing I want to get into is in one of your older email newsletters, I remember you talked about good karma businesses and conscious business practices. I'm curious, what's your take on it these days on giving back on inclusivity, whatever it is in that realm of conscious entrepreneurship that speaks to you? Oh my goodness. So I have, I have a lot of feelings about online courses and the way they are structured. And I am biased because I was a classroom teacher for years and I have a master's degree. And so like I've taken advanced pedagogical theory classes. I've taken a lot of online courses that are not particularly well-designed, that do not have learners' needs at the forefront. And so I sometimes feel really frustrated with the ethics of that. Like, I can't imagine that anybody who creates a course goes into it thinking like, I'm going to design something that won't help people learn. I really think that if you are going to take hundreds or thousands of dollars from someone, you should make for sure that you are delivering your content and creating a product that is usable, that is structured in a way that supports different learning styles, that delivers the content in a way that people can handle, that people can manage. Uh, so I think it's really important to do that. I think that's a, a really good, it's a very good value and ethic to have. Donate 10% of your proceeds to charity or, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think it's also just important to like be a good business owner who creates a service or a product that is effective that people can use. I think that's almost more important. That sounds like a great blog post or course idea that you could do. <laughs> like how to create courses that actually support people's learning styles. 
Exactly. Because, you know, I don't come from a course creation or a teaching background. I've done tutoring over my life. I've led workshops and done lots of speaking, but that's not something that I'm trained in. So I'm actually, when you said those things, I got really curious about what I could learn in that area. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who would want to learn from that as well. Yeah. Well, I can tell you the short and dirty is that like, you need to make for sure that people can read, watch and listen to everything. So like you should have video slides, you should have a workbook and you should have an audio download of the video. So there that's, I mean, of course it goes a lot deeper than that, but like anybody who's listening, if you have a course, you need to pull out the MP3 of your video and make that also downloadable. You need to have a workbook that accompanies the course that has activities that people can work through to solidify what they're learning. It really shouldn't just be text that people are reading. Mm-hmm. I'm totally with you. Yeah. Okay. You're giving me ideas on how to up-level my course because right now I have audio and I have meditations and I have PDFs and workbooks. That's good. I mean, you're already doing very well, Ksenia. That's, I mean, you should give yourself credit. That's, you're already doing a good job. Okay. Okay. I'm patting myself on the back. (laughs) (laughs) So before we wrap up, is there Anything else that I didn't ask you about that you want to share that you're excited about or that you want to pass along to anyone listening? Well, I would say a lot of my work comes from the place of understanding what makes you happy. Like you can't make your spending align with your values or your happiness unless you understand what makes you happy. You can't create or break habits that support your happiness unless you understand what makes you happy. You can't set goals that help you get where you want to go unless you know where you want to go. So as counterintuitive as it might seem, I think it's really, really worth it to put the time and effort and energy into understanding yourself and understanding what makes you happy. And then once you figure that out, it's a lot easier to make the other things in your life align with it. That is so important. And it really applies to any human and to any entrepreneur. It's like, where are we going and how can we know and define our goals if we don't know who we are and what's important to us? Wow. I love that. Sarah, thank you so much. Before we officially wrap up, what's the best way for everyone to connect with you? Well, you can read all of my 2,300 blog posts on yesandyes.org. And I'm very active on Instagram stories. I'm on there almost every day. And you can find me at yesandyesblog on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation and for doing what you do and having such ethical and integrity standards and for just being so honest and for showing up for all of us. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on WokenWired.com and also join the WokenWired podcast listener Facebook group. It's a private group where you can connect with people who are like-minded and say hello on Instagram. Find me at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now.